the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Third and final hour, Jimmy Sangenberger here with you. News Talk 710-KNUS. Good to be with you as always. This hour, we'll take your phone calls at 303-696-1971. We've also got text messages that you can send our way. You can tweet at me at Sang Center, saying with an E. Not an A center on Twitter. Email me as well via my website, jimmysangenberger.com. All ease all the time in Sangenberger. In a moment, I want to answer the listener in the last segment who talked about young voters. What do we do? I think it was Gary. What do we do to win over more of those young voters? Because the longer this goes on, the more we will lose them. I've got a few very specific thoughts. I've actually given speeches on this topic. Just before the the pandemic, I was giving a slew of speeches to Republican groups on how to win over millennials, and I think the same principles apply to the up-and-coming Generation Z as well. But Johnny in Denver has been waiting patiently on the line, so let's bring him on up. Good morning, Johnny. You're on the Jimmy Sangenberger Show. Okay. I remember specifically Dick Waterman saying, if we don't do it his way, then he's going to take his balls and he's going to leave and not vote for the people that we supported. Well, he. So now we did it. We, we did it his way. We lost. And now we're going to do it our way. And when I say that, we're going to do a, a ground game of harvesting uh, ballots is the game. We have to get in that same game. We used to be much better at it, Johnny. Actually, in Colorado, we were much better at that sort of ground game until, for example, this year, maybe even 2020, but particularly this year, where you had a lot of talk about vulnerabilities in Colorado's system and so forth. And so Republicans didn't turn out as much, and Republicans postponed more of their votes for Election Day. We had been good, better at this, and that changed because Republicans decided we don't like the system that we have in Colorado, and that's the wrong-headed mo- move. But I don't think that, uh, that Dick Wadhams would disagree with you at all in terms of that sort of ground game and making sure that Republicans are out there getting voters to cast their ballots. Okay. And in, in my race, um, I had 15 percent of the vote. My opponent had 80 percent. But I looked at his, his ground game and I thought it was well established. Next, next, well, the next two years, he's term limited. So um, I'm starting my ground game now doing some of the similar things that that he did. So I'm not where did you Where did you well. run, Johnny? Which district? Um, district five. Is that, that in Denver? Alice Valdez. And, and, Alice Valdez. Yeah. And where yeah. is that in Denver? Uh, downtown, a little bit of Capitol Hill, Federal, around that area. 
So let me ask Happy, you, Johnny, uh, first of all, th- thank you for stepping up and running. We need all the Repu- – and in fact, in Denver, a lot of people write off Denver and say, oh, well, why bother running Republicans because – you know, Republicans are doomed to failure in Denver. Here's the reality. Anything that you do to go knock on doors and so forth helps the rest of the ticket because you're turning out Republican voters who will, God willing, vote for the higher level positions who are Republicans as well. When you were going door to door, Johnny, and I assume you were doing a lot of that, what were you hearing from people? Well, uh, because I went, because I have a lot of Democrat friends, I heard like you know I'm hardcore Democrat, and it's it's interesting how the Democrats have been so effective in, in bending their their minds, and now a lot of them believe that Republicans started slavery, and we were fighting to keep slavery, and I'm thinking like wow, there's just a lot of brainwashing going on. <laughs> So it was, it was just being literally because 1854, yeah. the Republican Party was founded to eradicate slavery, literally in 1854. Yeah. And then we had the Republican president who was elected who did it. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, it was kind of interesting. Um, I became, turned my thing over when I I was in New York and at the. Um, uh, the Trump Tower, we, we just came back from vacation and saw him coming down the uh, escalators, not knowing that this is going to be a historical moment. And mm-hmm. that's when I flipped from Democrat to Republican. But then I, I find that my, my Democratic friends, and I have a lot of family members and, and so forth, the, 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 the 85% of negative news that they listen to really affects them. Mm-hmm. And I've never been a, a follower. I've always been someone out of the norm mm-hmm. in, in my family. So uh, I understood why I was able to see both sides of the story, and they were only able to see one side of the story. Mm. Johnny, hey, I appreciate you stepping up. Wish you the best of luck running again in 2024, and definitely feel free to call back in in the future. All right. God bless. You as well. 303-696-1971. It really is true. Every Republican who steps up in any district when we have a republican that can help push out the vote that helps the rest of the ticket no matter how likely or unlikely a candidate might be in that particular district to win we'll get to aaron in denver here in just a moment 303-696-1971 our telephone number i want to just talk for a moment though to gary in the last hour's point about younger voters Because younger voters definitely helped push Democrats over the edge this cycle, without a doubt. And a big part of that, yes, was dangling out this student loan forgiveness thing that the courts are poised to thwart, to say, no, this isn't constitutional, which they should. Especially if it gets to the Supreme Court, we need a sound dismissal. This is not something that the president of the United States, whoever he is, is authorized to do under the law and under the Constitution, of course, the supreme law of the land. It's not permissible. So strike that down. And if that happens, then that means some young voters voted for Biden under false pretenses. But it's not just about student loans and what Biden was proposing. It's also 
about, and I, I mentioned this before, I've been writing about it myself for years. I wrote a piece of Newsweek, wrote a piece of the Washington Examiner. I did a whole couple of papers when I uh, ran this think tank, Millennial Policy Center, and other avenues. I've been saying that Republicans are missing out on student loans and higher education costs. A tremendous opportunity was there for years for Republicans to say, here are our alternatives when it comes to student loan debt. We don't want to forgive. We don't want to do free college. Those aren't good things. They will only make things worse. But here's what we want to do instead. And yes, we feel your pain. The biggest thing that you need to keep in mind when you're trying to win over young voters is the minute that you dismiss issues that matter to them, you say climate change is a hoax, or you say we shouldn't care about student loans because you took out the debt and now you got to suffer the consequences. The minute you say that is the minute that they will switch off and say, I don't want to listen to this person because you dismissed issues that matter. My generation of the millennial generation, and especially the up-and-coming Generation Z, were raised going through the school system and college and among their friends and more to believe a lot of the histrionics about climate change. And so that means that it's ingrained. And on that issue, on student loans, where there are real issues for young people, who are struggling to to make ends meet in part because of student loans that they owe, although there's been the moratorium, so it hasn't been a big as big of an issue. But when you look at young people and say, I don't care about the issues that matter, they're not going to give a damn about anything else you have to say. So don't dismiss what young people are concerned about as far as the issues. But that doesn't mean you adopt what the left says. Propose alternatives. Here's what I would do instead. Because I get that this is an important issue, but did you know that technology is improving dramatically when it comes to oil and gas production and we've reduced carbon emissions in our country? And one of the surefire ways to do that is producing more natural gas to kind of expand on that point. And what you want to do in that regard and say, I'm all for all of the above, wind, solar, etc. But you can't punish natural gas production, for example, when that's leading the way in bringing about a reduction in carbon emissions. If you care about climate change, then you need to care about producing more natural gas, so on and so forth. Student loans. There are other ways to help. I'm not going to break down that issue. I could at length discuss the alternatives but the point is don't dismiss because they're going to turn away and have alternatives on those issues that's one big thing and those are two huge issues student loans and higher ed costs and the environment slash climate change you know great text from a listener just came in you're right jimmy you saw what happened with Ticketmaster and taylor swift When it affects them, they fight back. Ticketmaster just apologized. Yesterday, Taylor Swift finally spoke out and put her statement out for fans. The Congress is looking at it. Attorneys General are looking at this issue of Ticketmaster. All because a bunch of tweens, preteens, teenagers, and young adults in their 20s and, frankly, 30s were absolutely outraged at what happened, and they spoke up, and so people are listening. So 
if you were to just tell a kid, oh, don't care about Ticketmaster because, look, you just shouldn't handle that issue. Why should government be involved? And they're saying, oh, we need to break up Ticketmaster. You need a little bit more than that and to not sound like you're simply dismissing their concerns. That's just a small example, but that principle applies for student loans, higher ed costs, and the environment slash climate change issues where Republicans are seen as not caring about those issues. And to some extent, it's true when you look at climate change, it's not talked about by Republicans because we recognize that there's a lot more to climate change, a natural phenomenon, than just the human component. Human beings may contribute, but there are a lot of factors. So not dismissing issues that matter to them and having alternatives is critical. Here's another piece, and I cannot understate this. In terms of Donald Trump, I've been in the online dating game for years now, and found my girlfriend online, worked out. But especially during the 2020 cycle, and even before then, since then, the number of dating profiles where you would see a statement, if you voted for Trump, don't bother, or things to that effect, were staggering. When you're talking young people, social stigma is a real thing. If you feel like supporting somebody like Donald Trump is going to make it so you cannot find a significant other or you cannot maintain friendships, you just might, especially as a young person, be less inclined to vote for Donald Trump or to vote at all if you would like to vote for Trump but you don't want to be able to say, yeah, I support him, or the Republican Party. If the Republican Party is identified rock-ribbed as Donald Trump's party, with all that that comes with, particularly in terms of negative perceptions, set aside reality, just the perception alone and the social stigmas, they ain't going to vote Republican. It is a real deal. It's not a small thing. Keep that in mind when you're thinking about, oh my gosh, we need to win over young voters. It's more than just the goodie bags the Democrats throw out. It's also how does it make them feel when they vote Republican or they say they want to vote Republican or they voted for Trump or something like that. Please consider that, especially as we look ahead and at what comes next. 303-696-1971. Thank you, Aaron, in Denver for patiently waiting. You're on the program. Good morning. You know, listen to Dick Waddles, I mean, I was hearing all kinds of basic excuses. Um, the conspiracy stuff, conspiracies are not the, the uh, in this state, basically the, the, the broken down, dumb donkeys just, just own the Republicans. And the, the party here is dysfunctional. It was dysfunctional way before, you know, Trump came on the scene. Still dysfunctional to this day. And they just... Uh, just don't get it here. I mean, I mean, there's people in uh, Florida. I'm sure they believe the, the election was stolen from Trump, but yet Florida had a red wave. I mean, a tsunami. So, well, you know uh, I mean? let's uh, let's listen something about uh, about Florida though. Ron DeSantis 
is a unique figure. And quite frankly, he could not only win the Republican nomination, but he absolutely could be the next president because what he was doing in Florida was being was generate this attitude towards him as governor that he gets things done successfully, that he will fight for Floridians and he's focused on the issues that matter. And it resonated to the point where he won by 19 percentage points, one and a half million votes. He was unique in that regard, and that is a model Republicans should follow, and it's a very different sort of model, I think, from anything to do with Donald Trump. He was able to overcome that because of what he brought to the table. Here in Colorado and in many other states, that is much more difficult to do unless you are specifically following the model of Iran DeSantis. Yeah, and also, you know, also irritated me what uh, Dick uh, Waterman said was the unaffiliated voters. Well, you know, uh, a lot of them are just liberal. Yeah. I said, well, you know, sounds like they're a bunch of Bernie Sanders voters. So, I mean, supposedly, because unaffiliated means you basically can vote, you could go right or left. But uh sounds like a bunch of bunch of Bernie Sanders well, voters. So I don't know if they're Bernie or, or where they would fall as far as left-leaning, mm-hmm. but they are left-leaning enough to vote Democrat. And that is yeah. the issue. Here's the thing. Even if every Republican voter who is registered turned out, it wouldn't have turned about the outcome in this election because unaffiliated, quite frankly, they don't like Trump. It's clear that that is the case. I'm so glad, Aaron, that Lauren Boebert won in the third congressional district. She is excellent in Congress, but she won very close. It was razor thin in a district that had 9% more Republicans than before redistricting. That says something about the attitudes of voters in this state, doesn't it? Yeah, it says something. It, 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 yeah, it says a lot. And um, uh, all you can say is that, man. I mean, talk. I mean, talk about uh, uh, drinking the uh, broken down donkey uh, Kool Aid uh, without the sugar. And uh, the Republican Party in this state, unlike Florida or Texas or other states uh, across this great country, I mean, uh, still have a long, long way to go um, when it comes to uh, working together. Coming as one, uh, and when it comes to when it comes to here, in Dick Waters brought up another thing that irritated me. Well, it's the it's the it's the caliber of the candidate. Well, the the voters in Pennsylvania they didn't care. Uh, the voters in Arizona they didn't care about the well. So talent, so here's the, the thing. The, well, actually, candidate. no. I would I would say that in. Pennsylvania, for example, there was a little bit of caliber in that they looked at more than just Fetterman's health. If you look at the exit polls, exit polls showed it was about a 50-50 split among um, Pennsylvanians who thought that Fetterman was up to the task health-wise, but 70-30 split who thought Dr. Oz was not a Pennsylvanian long enough. He was a carpetbagger. So Dr. Oz was not a good caliber candidate, nor is Herschel Walker in Georgia. Those are two candidates that were basically handpicked by President Trump. It is about the caliber of the candidates, but it also is about more than that. To your point, you can look at Colorado. I think we had a very good slate in this state when you look at the top of the ticket at the state level. I think you had some tremendous candidates, and yet that was not sufficient to overcome the blue tsunami that we experienced here in Colorado. Because, yes, it's more than just the caliber of the candidate that's important. 
but there are other factors that are at play as well. Aaron, I got to run to the All break. Right, have a good morning. You as well. Appreciate the call. 303-696-1971. By the way, an interesting little statistic. In 2010, the Colorado Republican Party turned out, when Dick Wadhams was chairman, turned out 106,000 more Republicans than Democrats. Let that sink in for a moment about the changed dynamics in the last 12 years from when Dick Wadhams was chairman of the Republican Party in 2010 and today. I'm Jimmy Sangenberger. You are listening to The Jimmy Sangenberger Show. When we come back, what in the world is going on in Denver public schools? I've got a couple things to share about that. Wrote a column in that regard yesterday in the Denver Gazette as well. Keep it right here. We'll get to that more coming up. News Talk 710 KNUS. Yes, indeed, as Walter Trout sings, at some point you just got to turn off your TV because of what you keep hearing. Good advice. Jimmy Sangenberger back with you. News Talk 710-KNUS. Good to be with you. Let's get to a few texts here. Hillary Clinton, by your definition, was a carpetbagger when she won Senate election in New York. That would be in the year 2000. What did Herschel Walker do to make him a bad candidate? And noting uh, Jenna Griswold is technically a carpetbagger. I don't know when she moved to Colorado, but it wasn't shortly before she became Secretary of State. Let me take a couple of these things. I am not defining carpetbagger. I am not describing Oz as a carpetbagger in the sense of whether he literally fits a definition or not. Here is the thing when it comes to Dr. Oz, and it is a perception. I was monitoring the Fetterman-Oz race early on, and I was also seeing leftist YouTubers talk about Fetterman because they loved the guy. I couldn't understand it. But then again, I can't understand the mindset of the left anyway. But they loved him. And here's the thing that Fetterman did early on. He set the narrative. His campaign did some really clever things on social media in particular to set a narrative that Dr. Oz is a carpetbagger from New Jersey. He is a New New Jerseyan, not a Pennsylvanian. He's a Jersey guy. Now, a few months back, I told my mother, I told a friend of mine named Randy Schaefer, I told a few other people, I think Dr. Oz may lose this race. He's not running a good campaign. Which is something else when you think of John Fetterman of all people. But Fetterman beat him by five points. If you look at polls or you talk to people who are in Pennsylvania, they will tell you that there was a perception that Dr. Oz should not be U.S. Senator. Hillary Clinton didn't have that perception. Hillary Clinton ran fresh off of a popular presidency of Bill Clinton. Technically, when she was elected in the year 2000, her husband was still president of the United States. And he won New York decisively. He was very popular. He withstood impeachment. And Al Gore almost became president of the United States and he was Clinton's vice president. So the perception in New York State, and by the way, my family lived in New Jersey at the time, and we had family in New York, where we're originally from. And 
there was a there's a perception that Hillary Clinton was fine in that 2000 race. That was not the case in Pennsylvania. And Dr. Oz did not do well enough to counteract that. And he had his mishaps at the grocery store and so forth. Those things are not small. When people are voting, look, I often say voters aren't actually voting for the politician that they would like to have a beer with. That's the traditional idea. Oh, people vote for the person they want to have a beer with. No. They're voting for the politician who they think would like to have a beer with them. And Dr. Oz did not give that presentation to them of somebody who they felt they could relate to. Herschel Walker, in terms of being a bad candidate, he's not on message. And quite frankly, when he's talking about issues and so forth, he doesn't seem like he's got a grasp of what's going on. He doesn't come across well when he's public speaking or he's debating, etc. Objectively, I hope he wins. I want him in there as a Republican senator. But uh, you look at the race there and you look at the candidacies and he's just not an effective good candidate. Jimmy, I disagree that Dr. Oz and Herschel Walker were handpicked by President Trump. I believe they were both picked by Sean Hannity. Yeah. Sean Hannity was behind them early on, but that's because he's really close friends with Dr. Oz and Trump backed Oz early on. Whether Hannity did or it was or it was Trump first. The fact of the matter is he was known as the Trump guy and Trump got behind him and Dr. Oz was not a good candidate. And he brought this attitude of carpetbagger to the people of Pennsylvania. Similar thing in terms of Herschel Walker. President Trump backed those two men very forcefully, and they were associated with him. And that is not to be diminished because Sean Hannity was behind them in the beginning as well. Did Joe O'Day and Pam Anderson have the full support of Colorado Republicans? No. Go to El Paso County and you will definitely see an example of a place where really you had the Republican Party talking down Republican candidates and discouraging people from voting for certain Republicans. I've heard reports of across the state people were crossing out Pam Anderson's name and putting in Tina Peters. That's a great way to stick your thumb in the eye of Jenna Griswold and help prevent her from getting elected. So, no, no, I don't think so, that they had the full support. And clearly it wouldn't have made the difference, though, if they did have the full support, but it would have helped. That's for sure. Without a doubt, it would have helped if you didn't have that kind of um, talk going on during the election, discouraging people from voting one way or the other. We're going to take a quick break here on the Jimmy Sangenberger Show. When we come back, we will get into Denver Public Schools and what happened this week with their vote not to close schools. I watched the meeting on Thursday night, and it ties in with the events in the board meeting on Monday involving Tay Anderson. Of course it does. What's going on there? Keep it right here. We've got the details, as you won't hear them anywhere else. The Jimmy Sangenberger Show, News Talk, 710 KNUS.
Wrapping up and winding down, little Jeff Healy, the late, great blind guitarist who would put the guitar in his lap. If you've seen the movie Roadhouse, he's in that. Doing the Robert Johnson tunes. Stop breaking down. Best damn bumper music known to man. News Talk 710-KNUS. Real quick, let's break down a couple of numbers. Unaffiliated voters. This is a report from the Denver Post. Governor Jared Polis won them by a 33 percentage point margin over Heidi Ganahl. U.S. Senator Michael Bennett won them by 25 percentage points over Joe O'Day. Suburban women. Polis won them by 36 percentage points, while Bennett won them by 31 percentage points. Heidi Ganahl is a suburban mom and couldn't even overcome this advantage. Overall, the Mountaineer Research exit poll of voters who participated in the November 8th election found Ganahl and O'Day never stood a chance among a statewide electorate that's increasingly turned off by Republican politics. Only 42% of voters said they even ever considered voting for Ganahl and 45% for O'Day. Wow, startling numbers. But let's turn locally in our remaining minutes extra local Denver public schools where the drama just keeps coming. I will say they tempered the drama a little bit on Thursday. They had their votes on closing schools. The superintendent, Dr. Alex Morero, who, by the way, the board was it earlier this year. Yeah. Earlier this year extended his contract. He was hired last summer. And the board extended his contract for four more years. And then what do they do? They say, hey, we need you to come up with a plan to close schools because of low enrollment. So Morero comes to the district board of education, his bosses, and says, here's our proposal to close 10 schools. Then they bring that down to five. Then on Monday, and I'll get to this in a moment, you have just quite a show in opposition to closing schools. So then on Thursday, as a result of the public outcry over something, an issue that has been around for a while, this is not something new, the proposal was two schools to close. And also there was a motion to rescind this plan that they have called the small schools resolution, dealing with low enrollment schools. So on Thursday... In a vote of six to one, they decided not to close one elementary school. And then I don't even, if I recall correctly, they didn't actually get a second to get to the next vote. But Scott Balderman was the only yes vote on closing that elementary school. And he made some really good points about financially why they need to do this. And they have to look long term and so forth. But alas, the schools were not closed. And you had that result on Thursday. But what you really have here is an instance where the school board hired their own superintendent and said, you know what, you get to run the show. Then when parents inevitably challenge the school closures, they buckle up or they buckle under that pressure. Then they tell the superintendent, "Eh, never mind about all that closing school stuff and humiliate the guy they brought in, and they extended a contract for four years. And the fact of the matter is, he's right in taking these steps. As hard as it is to say schools need to be closed, they do. And Jeffco 
was willing to do it. I think they closed 16 schools in the next school year. I mean, that's sometimes that's what you need to do. The board was unwilling to back their chosen superintendent. And that's in part because of the show of public opposition from the public. Actually, it's because of the public opposition. Now, good old Tay Anderson, 24 years old on the Denver Board of Education. And, of course, he is the vice president of the board. He's trying to take all the credit for it, or he was trying to set himself up as the only guy opposing school closures. He held a press conference before the meeting on Thursday. And he also sat in the crowd, not on the dais, but in the crowd during the Board of Education's public comment period on Monday. We knew a hell of a lot of people get up and testify. And on that Monday, he was in the in the audience as though he was the sole board member aligned with a distraught public. But here's what it also meant. It also meant that good old Tay was not far from his friend, political operative Hashim Coates, when the latter spoke nearly four hours into the meeting. He ate up Hashim Coates 27 minutes because he asked for a translator. Then he went on, like somebody to translate from English to Spanish. And then he went on to talk about security and, you know, oh, I don't think security is right. There's some complaint about security and said, oh, don't count my time yet. I'm not starting yet. Then he was cut off like five and a half minutes into the whole thing since he got up there. It's a three-minute time limit. Then the translator translates. He makes a big deal because he wants to speak longer after the translator. And then, and guess what? Hashim Coates got to give another two minutes. And here's something that he said in that little tidbit after returning. An associate I know it will please you, Dr. Lisa Calderon, and your mother nothing more than to call the police and weaponize me and for me to end up as a hashtag. Just like your mother stood up in a public meeting and threatened to call the police on me as I was sitting minding my own business. That's you. That's what you all did to me. You're smirking and smug, but it's okay. I know what things that need to be flushed look like. Right now he's glaring at school board president Sochi Gaitan, the sole Latina member Hispanic member of the board. Silence. 20 seconds. Power to the people. And I want to leave you all with these words. If there's one thing we did right, it's the day that we begun to fight. Keep your eyes on the prize. Tay Anderson tweeted the next day, I am still processing last night. The Latina president, notice how he's specifying her ethnicity. The Latina president of the Denver School Board summoned six armed officers to detain a black gay veteran who was seeking to use his full three minutes. Instead, he got 27 minutes, basically. He was interrupted by her numerous times because he wasn't on topic, and his time was stopped from the viewing public. 
This is an abuse of power and another example of the anti-blackness our communities have been enduring in Denver public schools. Talk about melodramatic gaslighting. As I write in the Denver Gazette yesterday, my column, Drama Tops the Agenda for Denver School Board, Sochi Gaetan is the board's sole Hispanic member. Nearly half of all DPS students are Latino. If you read Anderson's comments, you would think Coates is just some community member prevented from speaking his mind because he's black. Except Coates is a close friend of Anderson's who has supported and worked as a paid operative for him. Amid last year's district investigation into allegations of sexual misconduct against Anderson, which resulted in his censure by the board, Coates repeatedly defended Anderson at multiple press conferences. In public social media posts that summer, Coates threatened a a then 18-year-old DPS graduate who protested Anderson. He called her a lying little-ass racist and compared her to the Columbine High School killers. In 2017, Coates was arrested and pleaded guilty to prohibited use of a weapon after having sex with a prostitute and firing a gun into a car in which the prostitute and three others were seated. In 2019, Anderson paid Coates in two $2,500 installments as a campaign consultant. Between June 2021 and January 2022, Esserman likewise paid Coates $15,500 total for campaign consulting. Anderson, who was close to Esserman, was also paid several thousand dollars by the campaign. So, folks, let's be clear. Hashim Coates is a paid political operative for sitting school board members, not an everyday community member. His insistence on Spanish translation and extra time derailed the meeting by half an hour. He was never forcibly removed, and he got to speak again. Remember the concerned parents across the country who were prevented from continuing their conversations, including the man whose daughter was raped in his daughter's Loudoun County School in Virginia? And Hashim Coates made it about race. Meanwhile, Tay Anderson stood behind his friend, Hashim Coates, and warped the whole thing into a racial issue the next day. I mean, my God, why do they put up with this? The whole lot, all seven of those board members need to go, and they ought to be ashamed of themselves. Enough is enough. Serve the kids better. Text coming in. Why is it that the school board buckled under pressure from parents regarding school closures, but parent opposition to specific curriculum and standards is overlooked? That's a great question as well. That's it for me. I'm in for Deborah Flora Tuesday and Wednesday at 3 and for Stefan Tubbs on Friday at 4. Have a great rest of weekend. Peter Boyle's up next. God bless America. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. 
with in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.